That was beautiful. Now hear the words from Scripture, the book of John, verse 11, uh, chapter 11, verses 17 through 32, in the section that is uh, entitled, Jesus Comforts the Sisters of Lazarus. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Mary and Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha had heard Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life, and the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever, believes by believe, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at a place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary at her house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. May the Lord bless the reading of this word. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I have a confession to make. I'm a sucker for big blockbuster movies. And I especially love the summer blockbusters, like Jaws, Jurassic Park. My favorite movie of all time, Forrest Gump, was one of those big summer blockbusters. Shrek was one of those. I just love them. And I, when I go to one of those movies, I expect them to be big and huge and wonderful. How many of you have ever been to a movie? In the theater. Movies. Yeah, yeah. Now, by show of hands, how many of you have been to a theater and seen a bad movie? Yeah, really bad movie. I went a few years ago to one called The Holiday. <laughs> My wife dragged me to that movie. I didn't want to go, and I was justified walking out of there. <laughs> Two hours of my life I'll never get back. But when you go to a movie, you put down your 8, 10, 13 bucks, you expect greatness. You are not going there with the idea, I'm going to pay money to see something awful. 
You just don't do it. Back when I first got off the cruise ship, and many of you, those who don't know, I used to work on a cruise ship. Back when I first got off the cruise ship, my sister-in-law was telling me about this movie she had seen. It was one of those big, huge blockbuster movies. And she said, it's the greatest movie I've ever seen. It's big. It's huge. It, cost, it was the first movie to ever cost more than $100 million to make. Huge movie. And she had seen it multiple times in the theater, and she thought it was just the, she thought it was the best movie she'd ever seen. And for me, that's kind of high praise. I've been a little bit of movie snob. So I went to see Titanic with my brother and my sister-in-law. And I was thoroughly disappointed. Now, that's not to say that Titanic isn't a good movie. Titanic's a good movie, really good movie. It won 11 Academy Awards, huge movie. It grossed like over $300 million. But it is not even in the top 10, if you ask me. It just was, eh, it was okay. The acting was uh, outside of Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet. It was a little stiff. I mean, you know. Then I went a couple months later to see this other movie that didn't have all the hype. It was written by two friends who grew up in Boston, starred them, and it blew my mind. Robin Williams won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. Goodwill Hunting was an exceptional movie. Didn't have all the hype, didn't cost $100 million to produce, but it was fantastic. Awesome movie. Made you laugh, made you cry. It was great. Great movie. Sometimes our expectations are not what we get. Less than two weeks ago, we celebrated the birth of Christ. We're, we're, we're still decorated. For Christmas. We celebrated the birth of the Messiah. The expectation was that the Messiah would come and what? Rule over Israel. He would overthrow Rome. He would restore the glory to the temple. It would be huge. He would be king. He comes from the line of David, for crying out loud. It was going to be huge. But here comes Jesus. Born in a cattle stall to a poor family. Eh. So we can kind of understand how the Jewish leaders had a little trouble believing who he was, or who he said he was anyway. So Jesus shows up on the scene. And he's not meeting the mold. They had a mold. They had an idea of what it was going to be. And Jesus doesn't fit the mold. As a matter of fact, he's not even close. And oftentimes, don't we do the same thing? We kind of get this molded idea of what Jesus is supposed to be for us. It doesn't quite fit. Like one of my favorite internet memes, I don't know if you've seen this on Facebook or not, but it's fantastic. It's a picture of Jesus. It's got the words on it. It says, and there I was, the only white guy in Jerusalem. I love that. I absolutely love that. I got that from the Lloyd Legalist Twitter follow, by the way. If you're not on that, that's fantastic. But oftentimes, don't we try to put Jesus and God in a box? So we come to this story. And Mary and Martha's expectations are justified, right? Jesus had healed the blind. 
the lame walk. He had healed people by touching them, by speaking to them. I mean, the centurion's daughter, he heals from another town. He heals her. Yeah, she's good. You're good to go. He doesn't even have to be there to heal people. As a matter of fact, in Luke, he begins, in Luke chapter 4, he begins his ministry. And he starts out, and he's saying, I'm the person that's fulfilling these prophecies. Okay? So in Luke chapter 4, he's in the synagogue, right? And he, he, he gets up, and they hand the scroll of Isaiah to him. Okay? And he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the release to the captive, the recovery of the sight to the blind, yada, 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 yada. And he sits down and he says, That's me. Isaiah was talking about me. And you know what his family does? His family's in the room. They're like, you know what, Jesus, you're a little overzealous here. Let's go off over here and have a little cocoa, give you a little bathrobe. Jesus gone a little crazy. They didn't quite buy it just yet. But Jesus starts to perform some miracles over and over and over. And he's healing people. And he's doing all this really cool stuff. And he's walking on water. And he's doing some amazing stuff. And people are starting to buy in. And then come forward in John 8. John describes a street fight in the middle of it. And Jesus is in this huge argument after he pardons this woman who's been caught in adultery, right? And he says, okay, you who's without sin, you cast the first stone. Okay, so what he does to the Pharisees, he basically shows them up. This little dude from this little hick town up in Nazareth, right? He shows up the Pharisees, and they're not happy. And so they get into this huge argument. If you read John 8 with the, with the perspective that it's going to be an argument, it really takes on a whole new life. And then at the end of that argument, Jesus says, okay, you're not understanding here. Before Abraham was, I am. And what he's essentially saying is, you're not understanding here. I'm God. You don't understand who I am. I'm God. And again in John 9, and again in John 10, he's in arguments with the Pharisees, and he's telling them, I've already told you who I am. You don't want to listen. You don't understand. All these other people are getting it. You're not getting it. I'm God. I'm the Messiah. I'm the person that's come. You're not getting it. So then we come to John 11. Jesus is very, very close friends with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and he's taught in their house. He's done all kinds of really cool stuff, right? So Jesus goes to the other side of the Jordan, and they send word to Jesus, Lazarus is sick. We need you to come quick. Crickets. Nothing. Four days minimum, Jesus shows up. After he's had another argument with his disciples and more Pharisees and all this other kind of stuff, and Jesus shows up, Here comes Martha. (laughs) Don't you know she's got her hand on her hip? Head's cocked to the side a little bit. You know, if you had been here, Mr. Healer Man, my brother would not have died. And she's right. She's absolutely correct. Jesus says, do you believe in me? Yes, I do. You should have been here. Mary comes. You 
should have been here. If you would have been here, Lazarus would not have died. Their expectation is the same as every other expectation. The woman who touches Jesus' garment, I can be healed, I can be healed. She touches, boom, she's healed. The, the expectation is that Jesus is going to come or at least send word to heal Lazarus. That's what we kind of all would have expected Jesus to do. That's not what he does. He lets Lazarus die. Now, there's an interesting part of this, and I think it's kind of funny. You know, we all tend, kind of tend to get a little self-righteous on the disciples a little bit when we, they're confused or they don't understand. We go, oh, come on, man, you spent three years with Jesus. How do you not understand? When it first comes to them, the word first comes to them that Lazarus is sick, Jesus says, don't worry about it. It will not end in death. Well, then later on, Jesus said, we need to go see our friend Lazarus. He's fallen asleep. And some of the disciples say, okay, great. We'll go wake him up. Jesus is like, no, he's dead. And can't you see Peter, James, John, and the rest of them going, but you, wait, you, you sit, What? Huh? What do you mean he's dead? All right. I'm confused, but we'll, we'll go with it. We'll roll with you. You're the dude who walks on water. So Jesus comes there. Lazarus is dead. And he tells them, show me where you put him. So they go to the tomb. And Jesus says, Roll the stone away. And they go, you know, Jesus, he's been in there a few days. And it's going to be, if you're going in there to dress the body, you're going to want a little Vicks for your nose. It's going to smell pretty bad. Jesus is like, roll away the stone. Jesus prays. He says, Father, I glorify you, now glorify me. Here's what he's saying. I have tried to tell these knuckleheads who I am. I have tried, and I have tried, and I've tried to tell them who I am. Now I'm going to show them. And so Jesus stands in front of the tomb. And with a loud voice, he says, Now, you know Lazarus didn't instantaneously appear. There's a couple seconds there between the time Lazarus has got to get up, get out of the tomb. Can you imagine what's going through the minds of those who are standing around going, what's he doing? Then Lazarus comes walking out. And they're all standing there going, oh. I took this sermon it was inspired by a sermon that was given by a guy in North Carolina named Stephen Furtick. He's a megachurch pastor down there. It's called the expectation gap. The gap between what we expect God to do and what God does is oftentimes immeasurable. Mary and Martha expected this, and Jesus did this. And we oftentimes expect God to do this, and he doesn't do it. But by a show of hands or not, how many of you have ever had your mind blown by God? Yeah. We expect one thing, he delivers another. And oftentimes, 
we'll put it this way. If God always did exactly what you expect him to do, he couldn't do the unimaginable. He couldn't do the, I'm going to blow your mind with this. You think anybody in the audience that day expected that God, Jesus, would raise Lazarus from the dead, that the man who'd been in the the grave for four days would just come walking out? Think anybody expected that? No. Nobody expected to see Lazarus walking around again. As a matter of fact, John tells us that right after that, the Jewish leaders decided, okay, we're going to have to kill this guy. It was right then they decided, we're going to have to figure out a way to get rid of this guy. They're going to figure out a way to get rid of Jesus. And then in John 12, he tells us, yeah, and they're going to have to get rid of Lazarus too. They applied to kill both Jesus and Lazarus. Because you've got to get rid of the evidence too. When we trust in Jesus, he delivers. Oftentimes, not the way we expect. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he gives us very specific specific answers to very specific prayers. But oftentimes, whoa. And I'll give you an example from my life. After Cole was born, Carrie and I decided we would wait a couple of years and have another child. Family planning, right? So we decided we have another child, and we tried, and we tried, and we tried, and we tried. Several years went by, and we had gone to see the doctors, and they diagnosed what the problem was. They said, you have unexplained secondary infertility. Like, Doc, I went to public school. You're going to have to translate. (laughs) He said, Everything's fine. You can't conceive. Your plumbing is fine. Her plumbing is fine. There are no issues. You just can't conceive, and we can't explain it. And so we decided we would like to adopt a child, and we couldn't afford to go through the international route. We, you know, we explored all those things, and we decided, you know what? Foster care is a wonderful option because you get to give a child, a home uh, that, that is safe and they need a place to go, and oftentimes you can adopt through the foster care system. So, and many of you know, you've been here long enough, you know we had a child with us, Karma. She was with us for almost two full years. Now, she came to us on Good Friday, and I remember I was lay leader on Easter Sunday that year, and I made an announcement to the congregation, and I said, we have a little girl living with us now, and uh, we don't have any clothes for her. We had a little boy, we had little boy clothes, we did not have little girl clothes. And um, that afternoon, Eric and Lori Tissue showed up with two garbage bags full of clothes. And we sat in the middle of the living room floor going, what just happened? Because, and if you know the tissues, you know the quality of the clothes, and they were cute, and they were just wonderful, and I could tell which ones were Casey's, they were kind of cool. You'll have to ask Lori about the backstory of that one, but that was God's providential work because she had tried to get rid of the clothes and she couldn't get rid of them on Friday. And then on Sunday, we made the announcement. Well, then about 18 months after that, 
we thought we were going to get to adopt karma. I'm, I'm pretty sure many of you thought the same thing. We thought we were going to get to adopt her. And we got word that karma was going to be going back to her biological mother. The foster care system worked the way it was supposed to, reuniting the family, rehabilitating the household. And news update, she's doing great. But we learned that karma was going to go back. And about the time we learned that karma was going to go back, I was on the golf course with John Castellano. We're standing on know, 17th or 18th tee up at Cranberry Highlands, and we were talking about the subject. We were talking about how karma was going to go back, and da-da-da-da. We had cut off all the fertility treatments, and John asked me, he said, how are you doing? How's your well-being? Because John's a good friend. He said, how are you? And I said, you know what? I'm at peace with this. Apparently, it is the Lord's will that we will have one child. And what we're going to do is we're going to pour all of our love and everything we have into coal. And that's, what's, that's what we're going to do. We're going to be happy with this. Got in the car, and I drove home. And when I got home, I'm standing in the kitchen getting a glass of water. And Carrie comes down the stairs, and she says, I'm pregnant. God sometimes doesn't do what you expect. He does the immeasurable, the unimaginable. The things that you can't comprehend that he's able to do, they're not even in your mind. You you don't know what they are. And he can do them if you trust him. And oftentimes, we don't have enough faith We don't have enough trust, and we don't believe in our hearts that Jesus is God. Oftentimes we treat him like a a good teacher, great philosopher, good man. Ergen Kanner said during his personal testimony, he said he was a Muslim and he converted to Christianity and said, the pastor asked him, said, what do you think about Jesus? He said, oh, I respect Jesus very much. He said, you you can't respect Jesus. There are two kinds of people in this world that say they're God. The lunatics and the one who is. And if he's not who he says he is, he doesn't deserve your respect, he deserves your pity. But if Jesus is who he says he is, he doesn't deserve your respect, he deserves your worship. And if you're sitting in the congregation today, you're sitting on that fence, get off of it. You either worship him or you reject him. There are no in-betweens. Jesus doesn't deal in gray areas. John 14, 6, he tells the disciples, I am the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. I'm it, the only way. That's it. Jesus doesn't deal in grays. He deals in absolutes. He's either God or he's not. You either worship him or you don't. And in a moment, we're going to have communion. If you're sitting on the fence, don't do that. If you're sitting on the fence, don't. 
But if you're sitting on that fence and you want to get off of that fence, we don't, we don't usually do an invitation here for communion Sundays. We have our communion and we sing and that's it. But I will tell you this. If you're sitting on that fence of respect versus worship, after this service is over, I'll be here. Amy will be here. Come grab one of us. And you say to us, I want to know Jesus the way you know Jesus. I want to worship him the way you worship him. Find me, Amy, Mark, Gary and Joanne, Dwayne or Tiffany, Jim, Mike and Kelly. You grab any of those people. And you say, I want to know Jesus the way you do. Because if you're sitting on that fence, you're you're, you're not there. You may think you're there. You're not there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us Jesus. We thank you that he came into our lives. We thank you that he gave himself for us. We thank you that our sins through him are forgiven and that in him we can be whole again. Be with us now as we take communion in remembering Jesus and his sacrifice and who we are. In his name we pray, amen.